Welcome to the College Investor Audio Show, where we talk about the biggest issues impacting millennial money, from student loan debt to side hustles to building wealth. We will show you how to get out of debt so that you can build real wealth for the future. Hello and welcome to the show for today. We talk a lot about 529 plans and how awesome they are to help pay for college. But how do you actually do it? How do you actually pay for college with a 529 plan so you don't get a penalty? Okay, so taking money out of a 529 is more complicated than actually putting money into a 529 plan. If you do it incorrectly, you might owe taxes and a 10% tax penalty plus recapture of state income tax breaks attributable to the distribution. Don't make that mistake. So here's how to ensure a tax-free distribution. A distribution from a 529 plan is tax-free if it is limited to qualified education expenses. The IRS does not allow double dipping. So each qualified expense can justify just one tax break. For example, you can't use the same tuition dollars to justify both a tax-free distribution from a 529 plan and the American Opportunity Tax Credit, AOTC. Accordingly, after you identify the qualified education expenses, you must subtract those expenses that have been used with another tax break from the total. The qualified distribution from the 529 plan must be limited to what's left, or part of it will not be tax-free. Let's talk about qualified education expenses just for a second. So these include tuition, fees, books, supplies, equipment, computers, internet access, software, peripherals, and special needs expenses. Also, if the student is enrolled on at least a half-time basis, qualified expenses do include room and board. Room and board may include rent from off-campus apartment, but only up to the allowance for room and board in the college's official cost of attendance figure. This is sometimes called a student budget for the student's specific living arrangement. Most colleges have three or four student budgets, depending on whether the student is living on campus, an apartment with some family, or on a military base. If the student is living on campus in housing that is owned or operated by the college, room and board may be based on the actual invoice amount if it's higher than the allowance if in the student budget. Eligible education institutions include all colleges and universities that are eligible for the Title IV federal student aid. Now, this includes undergraduate and graduate institutions, as well as institutions that offer associate's degrees and certificates. Qualified expenses do not include other expenses, like transportation and health insurance, but qualified expenses may include up to $10,000 per borrower, which is the lifetime limit and student loan repayment for qualified education loans borrowed by the beneficiary or the beneficiary's siblings. Qualified education loans include all federal and most private loans as well, and some families may borrow student loans instead of taking a distribution during a down stock market. Later, after the stock market has recovered a bit, they can start taking a qualified distribution to repay those loans. That's a pretty good idea. Now let's talk about some adjustments to qualified expenses. The qualified education expenses must be reduced by the amount of tax-free educational assistance. Tax-free assistance includes tax-free scholarships and grants, employer-provided educational assistance, veterans' educational assistance, 
and qualified expenses used to justify the American Opportunity Tax Credit, or AOTC, and Lifetime Learning Tax Credit, LLTC. The remaining qualified expenses can be used to justify a qualified distribution from a 529 plan, up to the amount of the qualified expenses. Just make sure you don't request a distribution that exceeds this figure. Let's talk about the timing of the distribution. So this matters in several ways. For a distribution to be qualified, the qualified expenses must be paid in the same tax year as the distribution. Let's say you take a distribution in December to pay next year's tuition. It will be non-qualified unless you actually pay next year's tuition in December. The distribution and expense must be paid in the same tax year. The IRS also does not allow you to pay for qualified expenses in one year, then take a qualified distribution several years later. Otherwise, you'd be able to let the 529 plan grow in value for several decades and then just take a tax-free distribution that's almost entirely earnings. <laughs> that was not going to work. Don't wait until the last minute to request a distribution either, as it can take weeks or even months for a 529 to, to issue and send the payment. So if you request a distribution in December, you might not even receive it until the next year. You should request the distribution early enough so that it will be received in the same tax year as the qualified expenses are paid. For this reason, you should probably just go ahead and request a distribution by electronic funds transfer, or EFT, instead of check. However, some 529 plans limit transfers to only the account owner's bank account. Let's talk about some strategy for a minute on using distributions. There are several factors that may affect how much of a distribution you take from your 529 plans each year. Consider the following questions. Do you need to spread it out evenly over all four years? This approach is focused more on cash flow than on maximizing financial aid or tax breaks. Do you front load the distributions to reduce the need to borrow during the early years? So when you do it this way, there's time for interest to accumulate on the student loans during the in-school years. Or do you back-end the distributions to maximize the return on investment during the in-school years? Do you try to optimize your use of tax credits, like the AOTC? Because the AOTC is worth more per dollar of qualified expenses than a tax-free distribution from a 529 plan. Just a few things to keep in mind. Now, for strategic optimization of the tax credits, you'd carve out $4,000 a year in tuition and textbook costs to qualify for the maximum AOTC, assuming you're below the income phase-outs. The income phase-outs are 80K to 90K for single filers and just twice that for married filing jointly. You can pay for the $4,000 using cash or student loans. If you need to borrow, you will start your with the senior year loan limits back to the freshman year, figuring out how much you'll need to borrow each year. Dependent students can borrow up to 55 k in federal student loans as a freshman, 6500 as a sophomore, and 7500 as junior and senior. So, after addressing the AOTC and student loan limits, you'll pay for the remaining expenses using qualified distributions from your 529 plans. I hope that makes sense. But what if you took or take too much of a distribution? If you happen to take too much of a distribution, the excess is going to be non-qualified. The earnings portion of a non-qualified distribution is subject to income tax at the recipient's rate plus a 10% penalty 
and possible recapture of state income tax breaks. The 10% tax penalty is waived when the non-qualified distribution is caused by the receipt of tax-free educational assistance. The waiver is limited to the amount of the qualified expenses associated with the tax-free educational assistance. You will still have to pay income tax on the earnings even when the tax penalty is waived. Recontributing Refund If you get a refund from your college or university, you have a few options for avoiding the income tax and tax penalty on a non-qualified distribution. One option is to use the refund to pay for other qualified expenses in the same tax year. Another option is to recontribute all or part of the refund to a 529 plan. The ability to put a college refund back in a 529 was enacted by the Protecting Americans from Tax Hike Act in 2015, or PATH Act. The recontribution can be the same or a different 529 plan, but it must be the same beneficiary as the original plan. The recontribution is capped at the amount of the refund. Only refunds of qualified higher education expenses are eligible for this, though. The refund must be recontributed within 60 days of receipt. Recontributions do not count against the 529 plan's contribution limits. Let's talk about picking a plan or portfolio for the distribution. If there are several portfolios within the 529, if you're not fully distributing the entire 529, you might be able to choose the portfolio from which the distribution is taken. Some 529 plans let you specify the portfolios and some don't. If the 529 does not allow you to specify the portfolios, the distribution will be taken proportionally from all of the portfolios. Likewise, if you have several 529 plans for the same beneficiary, you can choose the 529 plan from which the distribution is taken. If the distribution is a qualified distribution, choose the 529 plan with the highest percentage earnings, since the earnings portion of the distribution will be tax-free. If the distribution is a non-qualified distribution, choose the 529 plan with the lowest percentage earnings. This will minimize the taxes and tax penalty on the non-qualified distribution by reducing the percentage of the distribution that is earnings. Let's talk about the recipient of the distribution. The 529 plan distribution can be made payable to the account owner, the beneficiary, or just paid directly to the educational institution. If the distribution is paid directly to the institution, it is treated as though it's paid to the beneficiary, which is pretty cool. It's important to keep receipts, canceled checks, bills, statements, all that documentation of purchases of qualified expenses. But because of federal privacy rules, a student's parents will not necessarily get to see the student's bills and other college expenses, even though they may be paying for it. There are a few options, though. One is for the student to sign a FERPA waiver to allow the parents to get copies of the bills. Otherwise, the parents will have to ask the student to provide them with copies of the receipts and bills. If the distribution is a non-qualified distribution, it may be better to have it paid to the beneficiary instead of the account owner, since the beneficiary will usually be in a lower tax bracket. The earnings portion of a non-qualified distribution is considered taxable income to the recipient. However, some 529 plans limit non-qualified distributions to the account owner. 
Now we touch on the impact on financial aid. So sending payment directly to the college or university can make it easier to demonstrate that the distribution was paid, or used rather, to pay for qualified higher education expenses. However, some colleges might treat the payment as a resource, reducing financial aid eligibility on a dollar-for-dollar basis instead of as a payment on the account. Qualified distributions from a 529 plan should not otherwise affect eligibility for need-based financial aid. A 529 owned by the student or parent is reported as an asset on the FAFSA, but qualified distributions are ignored. A 529 owned by anybody else, like a grandparent, is not reported as an asset on the FAFSA. This is important because previously, qualified distributions from such a 529 would be reported as untaxed income to the student, reducing aid eligibility by as much as half of the distribution amount. Yikes. But FAFSA simplification has eliminated the question where this was reported on the FAFSA. This is going to be starting with the 2024-25 FAFSA. Since the 24-25 FAFSA is based on 2022 income, distributions from a grandparent-owned 529 plan in 2022 and subsequent years will no longer affect aid eligibility. Assuming, of course, no delays in implementing the simplified FAFSA. So here is how to request a distribution. Distributions may be requested by the 529 plan's account holder, not the beneficiary. If the 529 plan is a custodial 529 plan, distributions may be requested by the custodian. You can request a distribution online using the 529 plan's website. You can also download a withdrawal request form from the 529 plan's website and mail it to the plan. A medallion signature guarantee may be required if the withdrawal is for a large amount or there have been recent changes in the account. A notarized signature is just not sufficient. There may also be an extra waiting period for recent changes, typically like 15 days. Some 529 plans allow a distribution to be requested by telephone, and some don't. One more topic, and then we'll wrap things up for today. Let's talk about reporting distributions to the IRS. The 529 plan will report the distribution to the IRS and the recipient on IRS Form 1099-Q. Box 1 of the 1099-Q provides the total distribution amount, Box 2 provides the earnings portion of the distribution, and Box 3 provides the contributions portion of the distribution. Box 2 and Box 3 should sum to be the same as the amount listed in Box 1. Only the earnings portion of a non-qualified distribution is reported on the recipient's income tax returns. The earnings are assumed to be proportional between the qualified and non-qualified portion of the distribution, based on the ratio of the adjusted qualified expenses after subtracting qualified expenses that are attributable to other tax breaks to the total distribution amount. This ratio is the percentage of the distribution that is qualified. Multiply this ratio by the earnings portion of the distribution and then subtract the result from the earnings portion of the distribution to determine the non-qualified earnings. The non-qualified earnings are reported on Line 8Z, Other Income, of Schedule 1 of IRS Form 1040. If a non-qualified distribution is subject to the 10% tax penalty, use IRS Form 5329, Additional Taxes on Qualified Plans, to calculate the amount of the penalty 
and reported on Line 8 of Schedule 2 of IRS Form 1040. That is clear as mud. 1099-Q forms are usually provided by January 31st, by the way. And that is our show. I hope it wasn't too confusing, because it's kind of hard to go through these things in a podcast form, but you can dive deep and get a better understanding just by looking at it. This article is found at thecollegeinvestor.com. Just copy and paste the title of the podcast right into the search bar and you'll find it. Also, if you ever have any questions, comments, you want to follow us, get to know us a little bit better, we would love that. Follow us on social media. Just search for The College Investor and you'll find us. We're pretty much everywhere you are. Thanks again for stopping by today and we will talk to you again real soon.